trying to conform mm. dulls what I learned was it dulls the beauty of who you are your integrity of who you are so yeah. I had to accept that certain parts of me you know like my circumstances were the circumstances that I had mm. they were the cards that I had to play they they the the denusia that I was as a young girl was in fact the gift not to try to be something that I'm not yeah. so so that 13 year old girl experiment was extraordinarily important for me as a young yeah. woman mm. watching all my friends you know go through the much more linear journey that we were speaking about and appearing to be maybe further on in life maybe more successful for a while mm. maybe she's more sorted but what sorted they weren't yeah. uh you know like just more well we have a societal legitimate legitimacy don't we of that's the way we do things yeah what i really love about this chat with danusha is her honesty and transparency about her life she shares her experiment that as a 13 year old she tried to behave like her school classmates and shared what she learned from it as you've just heard are you trying to conform not able to shine and show your special talents and beauty we talked quite a bit about being different well aren't we all different only if we decide to be we can follow the crowd conform and be unhappy or we can follow our instinct stand out and be happy i had so many more questions for denusha maybe next time enjoy staying alive uk share your story hi denusha thank you so much for coming on the podcast how how are you doing today oh michael i'm really well thank you for having me and yeah i'm having a good day yeah good 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 <laughs> that makes two of us um and we're, we're just going to have a conversation today um, because I'm really interested to know your journey. Um, I'm not going to spoil it by saying some of the things I already know because I've been reading up on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I won't, I won't. Um, but we'd really like to get started by um, learning where were you born? <laughs> where did you go to school? Your education, kind of, and then your first job and career. And then we'll get into how you then decided to run your own business. And then tell us about all of the different things that you're involved in, which I know are many. <laughs> so I'm going to hand over to you and just listen. Wow, thank you. Um, <laughs> Oh, where was I born? Uh, I was born in uh, Devon in the UK. I was uh, born in an orphanage, actually. Uh, I was uh, uh, in, a, in a mother and baby unit that was more of an orphanage than it was that. It had their mothers there. Mm -hmm. uh, and most of the mothers uh, didn't stay. It's, you know, most of the babies 
kind of stayed with their mothers for a while. Some were adopted and some weren't. That's that's my understanding. I've actually been back to that house. Uh, it's a great big house. It's a lovely place. And I've actually met the Salvation Army uh, officers that looked after me, which was a deep privilege to, to do that. Incredible. Yes. And I've also met the social worker that handed me from my mother, that my mother passed to the social worker and the social worker passed me to my new family. Right. So, you know, in terms of a reclamation of one's past, I've, you know, been to the room I was born in, been to that house, been to mm. the orphanage and and really I met my mum, you know, met my biological mum. So, uh, you know, and, and that was a, a, a wonderful, wonderful um time to do to do that you know really wonderful experience so I was educated uh, so I went to my adoptive family uh, who I will call from now on my mum and dad obviously yes. Uh, yes. and and so uh, I grew up uh, just outside Plymouth on in Dartmoor and uh, had to get three buses to school I went to a convent uh, a really beautiful convent with nuns so a very mm -hmm. old-fashioned convent. And uh, I was, there were only a few of us that were the Moors girls, the girls that lived on the Moors. And so one lick of little tiny flake of snow and the sisters would come and run and say, girls, you know, for this little clutch, it was a handful of girls, you need to get on those buses. And we, were, we, we always prayed in the winter for just one flake. And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> because often that was just one flake and it never made any, <laughs> you know, we didn't get any snow, Michael. <laughs> and we'd have like, yay, a day and often also we did get waist high snow but, but nevertheless it was it was funny it was a beautiful upbringing and uh, an entrepreneurial father and a homemaker mum and yes. and so the entrepreneurial side I grew up with that kind of feast of famine uh diversification um <clears throat> great drive and kind of self-starting drive in you know, right in the home and you make your, make your, your success feel, uh, was, was the kind of, uh, I, I don't know, the kind of mantra, you, you can do it. You can, you, if you want something, you can do it. Um, yes. I was a, I was a, uh, a child, um, was a child, <laughs> I want to say, obviously I was a child, but I was a dancer. So I wasn't just a, wasn't a little girl who liked ballet I won a, a scholarship to the Royal Ballet um, and regional scholarship mm. and and that really shaped my my childhood because I I danced six days a week uh, and and was it was at a very high level so that what that embedded in me was this deep discipline because mm. classical dancing classical ballet is is unforgiving you know, it's not yeah. it's not something where you can have a bit of a good technique. No, you have to have the technique and it needs to be the form and the rigor of being a classical dancer. Uh, so I had this this intersection of entrepreneurial family setting context with with, uh, you know, this kind of deep passion and performance, high performance not just in terms of the actual dancing, but like needing to be of a very high standard. Mm. So that framed my, that framed my, 
my all my childhood, in fact, uh, and um, alongside the adoption, and kind of being slightly different, being willing to be different on the basis I couldn't really not be. Yes, uh, <laughs> you know, yes. if you are different, then hey, you either step into it or you try to conform, and I didn't. Mm. You know, I was like, um, for one reason or another, realized, well, hey, I'm never going to be a child who has their biological parents, so let's embrace this and and be thankful for it. It was, it was a, it's a gift. Yeah. Um, a little curveball happened when I was 17 and about to go off to the Italia Conti, um, and uh, and that curveball was that I found I was pregnant. And I had that child, um, didn't go to the Italia Conti. Um, and I, yeah, when you, when you ask about have I been anywhere or I went to South Africa to live for two years um, when I was, I think I was 18, 19 um, with a child. Um, yes. And I, so I, I have a very adventuring spirit, you know, a, a uh, a high drive and an adventuring spirit. And so my first job, my first job, I'd come back from Africa and I'd had another child in Africa. Um, and I mean, I had four children by the time I was nearly 22. So right. <laughs> four sons. Um, and I, I think my first job, I mean, it depends whether you think whether you're talking about uh, uh, a paid role or voluntary. One of my first uh, activities away from the home was in my early twenties was um, assisting Esther Ranson uh, in her charity, which was at the time called Meet a Mum, and she had set this up because uh, mothers were experiencing. She realised that mothers were experiencing purple psychosis and. Uh, you know, lesser postnatal depression, yes. um, and and uh, she she highlighted that there was very little support, and so she set this amazing national charity up, and I sat on that uh, the committee for that, which I was, I was by far the youngest uh, around the table, and that really equipped me with uh, you know lots of s- skills, um, yeah. and and so I I began actually working in the probation service um, I had a I had a um, part-time role with um, and this is my first pay, paid role mm. uh, with um, with uh, um, offenders and uh, offenders who were on uh, you know uh, on probation uh, out of out of prison or or had been given community service and uh, there was a program that, that was actually a, a draft proofing program at the time. And so I was the lead. It was a really scary program. Um, I didn't drive. I had been quite sheltered in many ways. Uh, and I was introduced to a world that I really didn't uh, had to learn about. Yeah. Um, and, and I worked for Women's Aid. Uh, the domestic violence, um, domestic yeah. abuse uh, charity, um, and became the chairwoman of, of a particular um, you know uh, house and raised money to get a new one. So I did I did lots of social justice, social activism, kind of uh, trained as a counsellor, 
um, did those kinds of things before I went to university in my, you know, I was still in my early 20s. I was trying to pack so much in because I had felt that I was, um, I don't know if I felt this, but I certainly knew that my contemporaries had already been to university, were out in the working world. Yeah. Certainly none of them had four children, you know, um, and juggling with a husband, you know, and juggling many responsibilities. So I, I, I think what I'm really describing is a young woman who had an awful lot of drive and was trying to find where to put it. Yes. Sure. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like a yeah. lot of ambition and a lot of sort of, uh, knowing that I wanted to make an impact, a positive impact, mm. not sure where to put it, not sure. And so I, I uh, became a youth worker, um, a part-time youth worker, and I had the most magnificent mentor. Uh, and he said, Danusha, you need to get yourself a degree. You know, you're see, I was becoming senior. It was like, you're too, I'm very fast. It was, you're too senior without a degree. You will be blocked. Right. And I was like, right, okay, okay. Well, how am I going to get a degree? I didn't get my A-levels. Um, and, and I, so I, I went to university without my A-levels. Um, I was determined that I would get in. I applied to fantastic universities despite being told, go to, go to the kind of lesser league ones. Yes. And I was like, oh, thought that. I'll, I'll apply where I fancy. And I uh, was going for social work, actually. It was a social work uh, degree that I, that I was applying for mm. uh, off the back of my work with youth, youth work and, and probation. And, uh, and I got in. And uh, I chose to go up north to Lancaster. I'd never been further than London in my life. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I... I, I really haven't. I was like, okay, what's the North like? No idea. Mm. Good. Let's go there. Uh, went to Lancaster and, and, uh, and, and it, it was great. I mean, uh, wonderful. So, yeah. Uh, and, and so my story is not a linear story of uh, went to school, no. mum and dad, went to uni, met somebody, got married, had children had a job I'm mm. really not a linear uh didn't follow the linear path at all I'm not sure many people do but some do mm. and you know just just uh had high expectations for myself so so I'm curious I'm, I'll I'll just interject a little question there about yep. the kind of linear thing because I think most people probably believe well we're pushed into a linear process aren't we really because we go to school and then you're supposed to get qualifications and then you're supposed to do something else like go to university and then with those qualifications you can get a job and then you've got to earn money and then you've got to get a house and then you've got to find a partner and then Da, 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 da. you know it just carries on that way how did you feel though when you saw other people potentially going in that route and you didn't conform 
did you feel you were an outsider? Did you feel a rebel? Did you feel I'm doing it differently and I'm happy about it? Or yeah, what, what was going on in your mind or kind of observing others? Hmm, that's a great question. Well, when I was at school, so I, I, learned, I learned something very important that has enabled me at that period later to, to manage this within myself. So when I was at school, I noticed that there was lots of young girls that appeared, and I think that's important to say, appeared to be loved and appeared to have doting families and appeared to have like this slightly different setup or very different setup than I experienced. Mm. And they were all biological children. Yeah. Yes. So they, so they weren't adopted children. So, and I, I didn't certainly didn't blame adoption at all. I was just noticing as a very curious noticing patterns person, which is really set me up for life, to be honest. So I, I, I noticed, okay, so that girl there, she puts that in, she does that kind of behavior and she gets this as an output. Hmm. Mm. Okay. And her name was Karen. Okay, so I shall be Karen for a week. <laughs> I will try to be Karen for a week. Yes. And, and I was like, okay, so I noticed she does this and her parents do that and people around her do this. Good, good, good. Okay, Danusha, behave like Karen. Okay, yes. so I would do that. And then I noticed that my father's Polish, so I noticed Kasia would do this she put this input in in terms of behavior and she would get this as impact in her life now i can frame it in that language but at the time it's like well she does that and gets that hmm okay well she's a bit different from karen let me be cashier for a week yes (laughs) i'm still danusha but i'm gonna try and see what i get yeah yeah and so i took a number of people's scenarios and i tried to fit and get what they were getting yes at the end of that uh half term because i tried it for half a term so about six to about eight weeks and um i was still denusia but i was trying different things and i remember when i did this by the way i was 13 and Mm. i the school called my mother the uh Sister Veronica, her name was, schooled my mother and said, we're wondering if there's something wrong with Janusha. And and they said, now, now, she's either got multiple personalities or or she's an amazing actress. (laughs) And my mum came to me and said, whatever are you doing? What's going on? Why are they so concerned about you? My academic my academics were all fine it was my personality i was clearly trying something on yeah yes well it was working michael it was working what i was learning was how do i how do i belong how do i belong how do i get the the what what they seem to get which you know i had quite a stern uh mother um and i i've written about it in my book i mean she's i thank her enormously for being a formidable force mm. uh, and and I really mean that I've done so much work on uh, kind of therapeutic work on um, the, the gratitude for this actually and understanding this but, but she was formidable and so not not the 
not the softest, warmest, loving, embracing uh, force. She was, she was, you know, um, something very different from that. Whereas I, I, I saw these other children getting this warm, cozy um, love, and I was wanting a piece of that. Of course, but, yeah. But what yeah. was, but what, what I learned was that those people around me that set me up for understanding that um that I'm not actually I wasn't actually an outlier it's just that you know trying to conform Mm. dulls what I learned was it dulls the beauty of who you are your integrity of who you are so I had to accept that certain parts of me, you know, like my circumstances were the circumstances that I had. Mm. They were the cards that I had to play. They, they, the, the Danusha that I was as a young girl was in fact the gift, not to try to be something that I'm not. Yeah. So, so that 13 year old girl experiment was extraordinarily important for me as a young woman Mm. watching all my friends you know go through the much more linear journey that we were speaking about and appearing to be maybe further on in life maybe more successful for a while Mm. maybe she's more sorted but what sorted they weren't uh you know like just more well we have a societal legitimate legitimacy don't we of that's the way we do things yeah yeah and i learned no it isn't it isn't Mm. that actually plowing your own path is is has genius in it Mm. actually but you have to trust that who you are is is enough and that who you are has the answers you have the answers and that and that you can ask for help along the way and that's what that's what I had to keep telling myself. And remember, I was also as a young woman, I was surrounded by adults and, and mothers, for instance, who I mean, certainly as a mother itself, mothers decades ahead of me. In mm. fact, my English teacher from the convent gave birth to her first child in her mid-40s, late-40s, rather unexpected child when yeah. I was giving birth to my first child. I was there in the same little ward. Yeah. So I was with women like decades ahead of me and I drew on their wisdom. Yeah. Equally in the professional sphere, I was always the youngest. Um, and I, I researched, you know, I'd, I'd ask them, tell me more about that. Mm. Help me. <laughs> and and what age were you dancing? Did the dancing start? I started at seven, which is late for a serious dancer. It was ridiculous, yeah. but it is. Mm. Uh, all my contemporaries that subsequently uh, were at the Royal Ballet, you know, started about three, two, and but I caught up, and yeah. and and then I switched over to the Italian Conti at sixteen, seventeen. Um, on the basis that I'm five foot one and I was never going to grow to the right size for my mm. technical abilities. Yeah. So I switched over and won a scholarship there. Um, and I actually did professionally dance. I mean, I, I you know, I, I did continue despite having the kids uh, right into, uh, you know, later years. 
Because how much of the dancing mm-hmm. helped you? I mean, first of all, that will have made, apart from the other girls that will have been you've been dancing with or learning with, the when you're in the convent, I don't know how many other dancers were there, but I would have. I would have thought that would have set you slightly apart because you were doing yes. something very different to other people anyway. Yes, I was. Yeah, there weren't and, any dancers. And also the kind of level of discipline and concentration that's required for doing something like that, again, will have, you know, conditioned your mind, your brain in a different way compared to other people. Yeah, completely. I mean, I wasn't allowed to, uh, I mean, I I couldn't become a brownie. I didn't Mm. learn to ride a bike. Mm. Uh, Legs are very important if you're a dancer. My legs were insured. You know, I couldn't couldn't do anything that was dangerous for the health of my legs. Uh, I, there was nobody else that was, you know, at, at that level of dancing. Mm. I mean, that's where I make a distinction of of dancing, you know, ballet. I mean, it's wonderful, you know, taking ballet lessons, but actually performing at a very high level and training at a very high level is is a different kind of ball game. Yeah. Um, so yes, yes, that that of course set me yeah. apart. Yeah, it does. And so that what's in there is that there's a an understanding of both the discomfort and the position that being different gives somebody Mm. it's it's so many people would look at that as potentially being negative and being difficult Mm. when actually after all as an entrepreneur how do you stand stand out from a crowd how do Mm. you in a saturated market for instance how do you which we call you know uh, a bunch of hundreds of girls Else, how how are you different? But yeah. the same in a business. How would you be different? Um, and we have to find our, the bravery and courage within ourselves to be willing to own our differences, own our yeah. own the gift of the that uniqueness. Because we're all we're all like that. And so many of us find so many people find it very hard to to stand out too to be grateful for, you know, the fact that they are a bit different. Mm. And we're all a bit different. Most people are trying to hide it. That's right. <laughs> you know, most people are trying to kind of, you know, smooth out the like, no, no, I'm like everyone else, rather mm. than going, you know what, actually it's the hiding of it that's the problem. Yeah. You know, if only yeah. people knew how quirky I was or that I do this or that I think this. No, yeah. that's the brilliance of you. Mm. <laughs> That potentially could be exactly the brilliance. I know. Like, bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> does this sound? Does this make sense? Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I've I've been on that journey to, mm. to some extent, not as not as um, significantly as you, but yeah, I was the youngest of four kids uh, with a twin sister, but I never felt the same as my siblings <laughs> ah really yeah i i felt mm-hmm. 
like I was observing them oh, <laughs> more yes. than anything. Yeah, it was weird. And it still is weird today because <laughs> they're all still alive. So, but, um, okay. So that witnessing, that witnessing, mm. that kind of almost standing beside being in it, but witnessing it is really interesting. Yes. Yeah. What, yeah. what does it give you? Uh, it, what that's a really good question <laughs> um it it kind of gives me to a large extent now after lots of kind of practice i think it gives me more compassion um for noticing the difference but also you know noticing their suffering mm. um and in fact, noticing that in a lot of people around me, um, it just allows me to become a better observer, really, of life. And because I'm so fascinated by people's stories, hence this podcast, mm. um, I just I'm intrigued by all the different stories that people live. Although essentially, we're all living the same story. They're all you know, slightly different because of people, times and places are different. Um, so, yeah, it, mm. I think it gives me more kind of being able to tap in, practicing tapping more into compassion um, than anything else. Mm, love that. That's really great. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it acts as, it, yeah, it can take as many places, can't it? It can, yeah. Yeah, 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 amazing. Okay, so we we kind of backtracked a little bit because because uh, I interjected with a question, but you were on a journey of youth work and then getting your degree. Mm, well, I yeah, I mean, I I did a few degrees, <laughs> and <laughs> I stayed as I hung about. I I yeah, I I um. My brain rather loves being an academic, so I became an academic. Yeah. And, yeah, so that's the career that I went into. It became obvious that my, uh, my brain rather loved building models, build, building, you know, uh, synthesizing material patterns, uh, all of that. So, so, yes, so I became a business school academic, uh, and my specialism is it still remains uh, organizational development and behavior. So, yeah. uh, you know, in companies uh, and, and so I did an awful lot of um, post-grad teaching, um, supervision, uh, PhD supervisions, um, theses, and really loved that life, really loved it. Um, all along the way, I was having children um <laughs> more children <laughs> interspersed yeah. along my journey you know uh a daughter followed the uh the four boys during my masters bang smack in the middle of that uh and uh and then sometime later um I had a small break after number five and then I had uh, more children um and and um I I stayed an academic. I mean, I loved publishing. I loved writing. It wasn't the publishing right. I loved. It was the writing. The, yes. the um, work, both simultaneously 
working with companies in the applied field, so bringing, you know, changing company uh, structure, the things like I was um, partly, you know, spearheaded bringing um, personal development work and modules into MBAs. So for years and years and years, MBAs had no personal development in them at all. It was all mm-hmm. finance, marketing, all the all the other areas. But I was so clear that one of the big pieces that is important to senior managers and managers is their emotional intelligence. Yeah, and so um, I was really proud that that I was you know, moving around from university to university because, um, I mean, I did a stint uh, in the States uh, as a visiting prof there um, in, in Vanderbilt. Um, and, and, you know, moving about uh, to, to actually bring in, develop my own theories, but also to bring in things like that uh, personal development into MBAs. And then, and then I just realised that actually I'd got to where I, I wanted to be Mm-hmm. So um, it wasn't a sudden realization. It was actually some of my senior leaders who I was working with uh, as an academic. I and, and they were like, "Samisha, what are you doing? Why? Why are you here? Why aren't mm-hmm. you out in industry? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. why aren't you more in industry and doing a bit in academia? You're as, as you know, you. Where else can you go here? And and." I took a maternity leave. It was my first maternity leave ever. And it was with my seventh child. And um, her name is Isadora. And I, I don't know, I'm stopping. She's actually at university right now herself. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I straddled during that maternity leave. I started a consultancy. I thought, you know what? Shall I do this? Yes. Okay. Let's do it. So, I struggled being a full-time tenured academic with uh, my um, OD, OB business, so my consulting, the leadership consultancy, specialising very clearly at board level and senior teams, so C-level team. Yeah. And I did that for about a year, a little bit more than a year, and then to the horror of my colleagues, handed my tenured career back. And they were like, no, no, take a sabbatical, take a couple of years. I said, no, 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 you have it. I won't come back. I won't be, I won't be coming back into this. And um, I do chuckle at that now. Uh, I think that's quite funny, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, and so then I just, I, I transitioned to, to running the company that I run now, you know, full time and, and uh, gave up my my academic role yeah. and that was it uh and and I think I'd had enough as well um all the structures of universities at that time I'd had enough yeah. uh, and I'd published like crazy uh, which is of course the backbone of career academics and I I loved it I absolutely love it and realized recently when I when I wrote my recent book, my most recent book, as I had some feedback actually from people. It was it was on motherhood and and people that know me as a mother in a kind of school for mothers podcast way, and yeah. it's like obviously I, I host that and and I had some feedback that said, 
oh wow it's almost like reading a phd i was a bit shocked i was like oh, well, i did tell you i was an academic you just you just didn't know me in that guys i'm i'm you know i'm not really a kind of light flimsy uh you know i thought leadership is thought leadership so it was it was quite amusing that i i guess you can't get rid of that out of somebody yeah. you know that academic is still there and uh it, it it's not it's nowhere near as dense as it could be believe me but it was quite amusing that I had that feedback so they were kind of wow shocked and I was like yeah bring it on I'm thrilled because <laughs> that's who I am <laughs> so you know I I I built I'm building the company is thriving it's a uh it's a company not that's it's not just me I have a team of amazing consultants who yeah, we work, we report to boards about their leadership, their human capital, their talent, their, 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 their leaders around the table, their leaders and their senior team. And you now we're team dynamic specialists and it's a thrill to be honest. It's amazing. I love yeah. this work. Um, it takes us generally around the world Although obviously we've been Zoom and internationally Zooming it now. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> like everyone else. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm thrilled that I made that leap. Um, and yeah, I mean, now I've got, now I, I eight years ago had triplets, um, two boys and a girl. So um, that's, that, that was quite the, quite the uh, um, finale of yeah. uh, my motherhood. Right. <laughs> I was like, right, last baby. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, the universe had a little laugh and sent me three. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Danusha, see if you can cope with this. Go on. Mm. Mm. So that's, that's, and they're, I homeschool them. They are not, uh, they're not, they have been in schools, but actually I've made the final decision recently the kind of definitive decision that uh given their particular additional needs of you know varying kinds that actually they're best uh educated um at home um which changes life uh, considerably sure they're amazing they're amazing kids they're i'm so incredibly lucky to have been offered the opportunity to 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 be their mother i mean they really are wonderful kids and it's challenging having multiples higher order multiples triplets and above are just something else mm -hmm. it's not like having three kids that of close age it's like wow <laughs> it's something else michael i can well imagine yeah <laughs> oh dear I can't so, uh, empathise because it hasn't have I have not had to experience it, but I can well imagine how yeah. interesting it must be. But also, I mean, the thing is, they're going to follow quite closely in your footsteps of being quite different, mm. of not having followed the conformist route of education. Um, mm. So they're going to show up in the world quite differently um, yeah yeah well well the thing is obviously i was a very i was a very capable i mean hugely capable uh student um 
it's just that my as a as a secondary school if you like in that time the, um I my my love was a career I was already looking towards a, a career yeah um but I have followed I have followed the path of university and degrees I have yes. done that and so they they know that they're already talking about degrees it's just mm. that they won't have the the typical you know thousands of many many hundreds of thousands of children that are actually now homeschooled um, yeah. either because they have to be or because their parents you know have critique of the current education system in this country yes um you know and then in the case of my triplets i mean one has that means that he's he really his sensory needs means that he really cannot cope in uh in a school environment he just mm. can't it's mm. just not tenable for him no. um and then i have a profoundly dyslexic one who was it was suggested that on her assessment that she may or may not read ever um although she's an award-winning podcaster at eight uh, so <laughs> yeah she's already so she's got her own podcast and um, which is great and um, but since being at home she's she's reading so she's mm. you know she because she can do it she can access this in a different way than in a mm. school environment so it's it's really about accessing who you are in different environments and and so these packaged environments that we're allegedly supposed to go through mm. don't suit everybody and and it's about having the adaptability to be able to um you know kind of change that context for different people it's it's very very significant because i've I've been doing a bit of own, my own personal development around um, something called dependent origination, mm -hmm. as a, which is a Buddhist teaching. Um, and I'm not Buddhist, but I'm, I'm interested in mindfulness and I came across it in listening to different podcasts and I came across this teacher in America and talking about this concept and I went, oh, it's even a difficult title. What even is it all about? Hmm. But essentially, there's like a difference, there's like 12 parts to it, which is even harder to understand for me anyway, for my small brain. But what I did take from it is that we are all hugely conditioned. First of all, it's our parents. The second part, apart from our own siblings, is the biggest part of our conditioning is teachers. Mm. Um, it's going to school, basically. Yes, it is. And so removing that huge part of conditioning mm -hmm. from kids <laughs> mm -hmm. will make a massive difference in their adult life and future years. I, mm -hmm. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Because Yes, there are lots of benefits in terms of socialization in school with other kids and everything, but I'm sure you're doing that in different ways. Mm. But um, the, the teachers, not their fault, because they are having to deliver a curriculum in a certain way. Um, 
you know, you spend kids spend most of their lives in school. <laughs> they don't even spend most of their time with their parents. <laughs> That's right. So, um, yeah. So well done to you because you, you're giving them a massive gift. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it is a, a really big gift. And, and I had a really a fascinating case study because one of my triplets was at home for 19 months uh, because his education, the setting had uh, dissolved. Yeah. Um, as in, you know, his, his ability to cope with it and their ability to cope with his not coping wasn't, mm. wasn't, you know, possible to, to thrive. So he stayed at home and the other two went to school and they continued, uh, which is very difficult, but for a range of emotional reasons for them to be separated because triplets are, these triplets anyway, are extremely close. They're not dependent, but they're just a very tight knit unit. Mm. Um, and, and I noticed that the boys particularly, because the boys are very, very, very super close. Um, and I noticed that the boys were beginning to be very, very different people. And I'm not talking about personality. I'm talking about attitudes. So the one that was at home, uh, very open, non-judgmental about gender, race, uh, because that's our home context. So yeah. a conversation is not about whether, the, for instance, the bin man has been. It would be, have the bins been collected? Yeah? yeah. We wouldn't ascribe it to a gender. We would, you know, or if, if we did, I'd say, oh, mummy, you know, I'd, I'd say, oh, your mum, you know, that's actually, mummy's made a mistake there. Because actually, do we think that every person that, that collects the, the recycling is a man? Do, what do we think? Yeah. Mm. So I'd, I'd open it as a conversation. So I might screw up, but I, myself, but, I'd, but I'm watching what I say. Mm. My other son that was, as far as I'm concerned, being inculcated at school, would come home with such views mm. he'd come home with things like well of course every girl becomes a missus and i say well that's very interesting Montgomery. why why is that because because they say so at school and i say and and tell me more yeah but mm. every woman will get married and i'd say and who will they marry oh a man i'd like well let's look at everything that we've said there I, it's you know and so unpack all that in a non cross non-judgy way just to kind of well that's a really interesting concept and mm. but that's cool so that's a tiny example and Horatio would would just say that's not right for a start yeah. he might be non-binary and yeah. I'd say well is it he oh no it would be a you know and so this but it was becoming really interesting in terms yeah. of the kind of um one the one was pulling away from his hand from me saying I, I can't I can't hold your hand anymore mm. I'd say why I'd say because all the boys will tell me whereas my other one was like I love holding your hand <laughs> apart from the fact he needs me to hold his hand to be honest but but actually for a range of reasons but the fact is he he has no consciousness or embarrassment about what masculinity means to him at this mm. point whereas mm. the other one was being told very clearly, this is what boys do. This is what mm. it means to be a boy and therefore a man. And we tell girls they're stupid. We tell them they're idiots. Mm. We tell them this. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? I've got these two very different, 
two very different um, trajectories here yeah. of mindset, and they're, you know, they, they they were hitting up against each other from mindset perspective, mm. and the home does not was not like the school, and it's a good school by the way. This was not yeah. um, this was not a difficult school. This was a good school. Yeah. Um. So yes. So now I don't have any of that, and that's just a tiny example. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> really which, to, which is the conditioning yes it, it's that conditioning that takes place 100 percent. and of course um, we see it in the media we see yep. you know they're going to pick things up in television in books yep. in yep. i mean all the messaging the narratives are embedded within within all of the this input but if we're not surrounded or we're not it's critical thinking, Michael, isn't it? Mm. When we, when we, when we're in a context that's that's infused with critical thinking, it's fine to be exposed to it. It's then we can be at choice about what we think about it. But when we're kind of saturated or or immersed, almost immersed in this incredible conditioning that this is how it is. Mm. Then why have we got a whole? Well, it explains, I think, why we have a whole industry of self-development and personal development that is trying to unpack yes. all the messages that adults are burned out, disappointed, upset, trying to find themselves. Yes. <laughs> you know, all these people who are trying to like, who would I have been if I hadn't been told to yes. be that certain person? Yeah, and part of yes. that, as you say, is strongly to do with school yeah because we do well we go from school to work and we yeah. spend more time there than we do anywhere else mm. very well, damaging 100 percent. and and the hardest part now is noticing anyway for me it's not the hardest part but it's interesting that you can react to things in a very, very quick way, mm. not realizing that it's your conditioned mind that's doing it, and then catching yourself. I, you know, first of yes. all, catching yourself after you've done it and go, ah, oh, I just did that. That's interesting. Where did that come from? Mm. And then only once you start catching it, can you start it can start to be removed from the conditioned mind over time and eventually it will disappear. And the example, this, this teaching I was listening to, the example they put was, remember when you used to play with toys and they were very important to you and over time they became less important. So toys were not really required anymore by you and it just disappeared out of your mind, you know, needing a toy in your life because, you know, things move on. And it's almost like that. Eventually you will move on from that conditioned response or the conditioning that you've got around a certain thing. And it will be like, you don't need that anymore. And, um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fascinating what, what I'm, kind of noticing at the moment mm -hmm. um lovely okay. journey really lovely journey yeah 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 it's fascinating fascinating okay. mm -hmm. and and of course you know when you're 
and kind of relating to the work that you're doing in businesses and leadership and dealing with, you know, working with senior teams, which is massively important in my view, because I've worked at senior level for many years in organizations and mm. yeah, I was always the odd one out because I couldn't keep my mouth shut. And, um, it, it's, you know, things haven't changed really that much. Uh, I know things have moved on, but you're working with conditioned minds in the boardroom and having to, you know, help them uncondition themselves from some of their condition. It's not their fault, you know, society, their teaching, their parents, the workplace, media, everything has helped them to be conditioned in a certain way and then, and to help them think differently. So, mm. yeah, keep going with it, Danusha, it's badly needed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful work. Just disrupting status quo, but being, it's not just for doing it for devilment, it's for, for, to bring more humanity. Yeah. Actually, uh, yeah. yeah to to and because we all know that that the culture that's set within the board level and the, the, the senior team is what filters down and that determines and shapes what happens for employees and we're talking about massive corporations here yes. and for that thousands and thousands of families thousands of individuals and their families and their lifestyles their kids are being affected mm. by the kind of culture that that these, you know, the teams that we're working with mm. decide are, are right. So it's, you know, it, it's, it is critical and it has to change with lockdown. You know, this pandemic has, has, has uh, imposed some very big uh, rethinking, mm. you know, it, it, it's imposed some, some, and jostled, jostled some, <laughs> some things up not not least the whole idea of where you can work from and how what success means and remote working all that stuff so mm. it's good you know there's, there's there's always there's always good from from things isn't there mm. yeah I, I mean i do believe the human mind just wants to go back to how things were um because mm. of our conditioning you go oh can we just go you know pre-pandemic how were things then can we just go back because then i'll be happy again um you know mm -hmm. the sooner we can be out of lockdown and you know it's that rather than kind of standing still and kind of going well how can this be different for the future what can we do mm -hmm. you know this is an opportunity uh, and I'm, I'm glad if some of those conversations are going on with with you and your leaders that you're working with which mm -hmm. is great news good to hear <laughs> Yeah, yes, it is. And it's also from a personal perspective, you know, people have been, people have been thinking about, you know, a major review of what, what, what works for them. You know, what does work? Yeah. I mean, we can pretend everything was happy before, but if you really, yeah, many people weren't happy. No, <laughs> not really. No, <laughs> not really. So it's an opportunity. If you want to see it that way yeah <laughs> you know. yeah yeah definitely so tell us a little bit about the podcast and also about your book well i i host two podcasts 
uh, one is school for fathers and one is school for mothers and right. neither actually well actually the school for mothers podcast is not interested in parenting at all I'm not interested in the nuts and bolts of how to be a mother you know what time you feed what you you know what you buy how do you mm. all of that stuff it's not about that it's about the yeah. identity of the mother and the woman and and really it's I'm in conversation with just amazing human beings who happen to be mothers and talking about all sorts of aspects of being that woman. Uh, and, oh, yes, you happen to also have children because <laughs> one of the assumptions is that that uh, once you have children, that they become the centre of your life, which from a love perspective, yes, that doesn't mean that you don't love them because you've got yourself and you've yeah. got your own things that you'd love to do or your work or your art or adventures or whatever it is so mm. it isn't that it's a career podcast you know that I'm only talking to hot shot powerhouses no, no no talking to all kinds of women around the world who are really living life as as a woman and they mm. also happen to be mothers I also do talk to women who've chosen not to be mothers and that's great too because yeah because many of them not all but because some would have loved to have been mothers but some of these mothers actually are deciding women sorry have decided not to be mothers because mm -hmm. they don't like the way motherhood is yeah and what that does to a woman's life and so i think that us mothers can very much learn from them and that conversation is really important. So that's, I think I'm thrilled with it. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it keeps going strong and I uh, love it. It's really good. Right. And this School for Fathers is talking to men about their working lives, about success, uh, how, uh, about really, in a way, the, the um, crisis of masculinity, if we could call it that, mm -hmm. how it's, I'll say it a different way, how it's bloody difficult, excuse the swearing, bloody difficult for men to be uh, men right now um, for a whole host of reasons. Yeah. Uh, and I mean societally. Uh, and, and how fatherhood is changing. So we do talk more about nuts and bolts in that, uh, and it, but it's very vulnerable. Um, uh, at least men are very vulnerable with me about that, mm. which is wonderful. And, and in March, I published Noise, uh, Manifesto Modernising Motherhood. So it's uh, a, a book about motherhood and about the taken for granted assumptions that certainly women uh, seem to, to talk about as if they're gospel. So, you know, the kind of, the kind of subjects, the topics that, constantly come up as oh yes that's how it is that's how motherhood is that's what you should expect yeah and, and they cut across cultural context they cut across age they cut across everything it's like you become a mother this is what happens and so there are six big pillars that i take apart and have readers think about for themselves I don't give them the formula for what they ought to think about it I take them through a part memoir 
very big research-based book. Um, and that's that's been a, a pleasure to, to bring to life. I wrote that in lockdown. Um, and then next year, I so that's called Noise. Next year, I have the companion book coming out on fatherhood, and that's called Spunk, a manifesto modernising fatherhood. What's the title again? Spunk. Okay. Right. Okay. okay. So I, I thought I heard you right, but I didn't know if you said skunk. <laughs> no, no, you have got it right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, it, it's the accompanying book to it's obvious that I couldn't really write about motherhood without writing about fatherhood oh brilliant um, so so that'll be published that's released I think next May um well the, it's May the 12th and uh and 2022 so I'm currently writing that and doing a global spunk survey where men are talking about fatherhood yeah and uh and yeah heavily kind of science-backed book and and it's great yeah yes I I don't think my convent I don't think the nuns would have believed that I would have (laughs) published a book called spunk Michael (laughs) it's not a word that was typically in my vocab but here we are I have to seem to say it quite frequently now yes I'm trying to say it just as if it's a normal word I know that's what that's how you said it it was like (laughs) What did she just say? <laughs> oh, so is there anything else you're doing that I haven't asked about that you're in? Oh no, I don't think so. I, I mean, I've got lots of lots of things that are in the works, and but I, mm. I'm pretty, I'm pretty. Uh, you know, I think we produce ten episodes a month, which is of our podcasts, and That's you know, yeah. running a, a big leadership business writing a book kids <laughs> i've got i've got my plate full at the moment it's wonderful you know lots oh. and lots and yeah yeah and and i live in a a very rural home a very big kind of a house surrounded by fields nice so cattle sheep cows horses they're not mine. They're the farmers. I'm so grateful to her. She has them, but the the, the fields around, I'm surrounded. So the kids are doing things like, you know, beekeeping and, you know, we'll have hens and very much teaching about life skills. Mm. This was an amazing, so we just moved quite recently or very yeah. recently, actually. I'm literally surrounded by boxes. <laughs> But it's it was a really good move, and that was one of my lockdown uh, realizations. Mm. Not only that these children, you know, had to be homeschooled, but actually that the environment that they're homeschooled in needs to support their and nourish their souls. Yeah, you know, really nourish them, steep them in something that is soft and seasonal. The beauty of the land. And and so that took a while to find something that was that was possible for us as a family, mm. very much so. So it's yeah, 
And some of this, you know, is about being in charge. Well, actually, all of it is about being the driver of your own bus. Yeah. Being that that conditioning that we've got would have us believe that we're the passenger, but that actually we're not. We're the driver of our own bus and that we get in the driving seat. And, you know, with whatever resources we have, we need to muster together to, you know, make the best of whatever that is. Because, you know, it's not necessarily that, I mean, we've all got very different kind of resources at our fingertips. So whatever we've got, to no matter what, to be that driver is really important. And I think that's a... That's a thread through my life story mm. to be that driver. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Oh, mm. thank you so much. Um, it's, it's a wonderful note to kind of wrap up on. Yes. And um, we, I know we could speak for much longer. <laughs> oh, no, I've done enough talking. It's usually me listening, Michael. I'm just, <laughs> please, I don't want to say anymore. <laughs> no, it's good to hear for you to say something for a change, definitely. <laughs> Where can people find you? Could you share uh, verbally, and I'll put it in the show notes, any kind of links that they could go and read up or find? And... Well, I have a very unusual name. So Danusha Molina Durban, there aren't many of us. So no, <laughs> you just need to try and spell it. And then, <laughs> you know, just have a look at your, your spelling of it, Michael, and I'll be found. And that's whether that's on LinkedIn, come on over there whether that's on Insta, which actually uh, is, you know, I can be found there. Twitter, I mean, truly, I'm I'm not difficult to find just purely because of my name. (laughs) So come and say hello, uh, you know, and and I'd love to, I'd love to hear from people. Thank you, Danusha. It's been a real pleasure listening to your story and the magical things you've done and the magical things you're doing and the magical things you will be doing. Thank Um, you, Michael. (laughs) I look forward to witnessing all that happening Mm. and uh, well done with all the kids. (laughs) Thank you. They're going to be wonderful human beings um, (sighs) and and very grounded, especially with where you've moved now, that that Mm. will help the grounding of them. Uh, including you as well. So, of uh, course, yes, yeah, it's a great base. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Okay, we'll speak to you soon. Take care for yeah, now. Take care, my love. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and share at will. I'm always looking for more listeners and guests, so do get in touch, please. You can find me pretty easily by searching for Staying Alive UK. Thank you. Staying Alive UK. Share your story.